Good evening. It's good to see all of you here, and if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and we're going to be looking at chapters 37 and 38. I really enjoy character studies. I think there's a lot that we can learn. And of all the people, the billions of people that have lived and walked the face of this earth, for God to have said, you know what, I want their story in this book. There has to be something there, and there's rich material there. Romans 15 verse 3 says, The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, uh, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And that's exactly what we receive. We, we receive hope when we see the lives of these men. We receive strength, encouragement, and um, direction. We learn about the character of God and how He deals with man and uh, what pleases him and what displeases him and what to expect when we um, obey and, and disobey. Tonight I want us to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, I was trying to think back, and I think that this topic came up in a Bible class uh, before we actually moved here. Um, we were discussing some things, and I kind of jumped to this chapter. I, I want to share some things that we shared maybe at that time Um, but in a little more detail. When you say, let's talk about the Ethiopian eunuch, if you didn't have this behind me, you might flip in your Bible to Acts chapter 8, because that's the Ethiopian eunuch. But that's not the Ethiopian eunuch we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about an obscure character in the Bible, and there are a lot of them that have, man, great messages, great truths about them. In fact, I, I've developed a series of lessons entitled, It's Not What You Think. And, and this is one of those lessons, the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, for a piece of trivia, you can leave here and say, uh, who knows what the Ethiopian eunuch's name was? Uh, you'll probably have everybody say, well, the Bible doesn't tell us what his name is. Oh, yes, it does. This one's name was Ebed-Melech. And uh, we're not talking about Acts 8, we're talking about Jeremiah 37. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 37 and 38 as we're introduced to this uh, guy that comes on the scene and then just exits off the stage, never to be heard of again. But when he was on the stage, he did some outstanding things. And so let's, let's take a look. Let's first of all just kind of set the background. Jeremiah chapter 37. The people were sinning. The people of God were impenitent. The prophets had been sent among them and preached repentance, and and they were ignored, and they were treated poorly. And uh, God had basically said, I've had enough. This is it. You know, my patience has run thin. Uh, Judgment is coming. And so Jeremiah is preaching a message that says the Babylonians are coming. They're going to haul you off into captivity, haul us off into captivity. God's anger has been roused. There's no turning back at this point. And sure enough, the Babylonians surrounded the city of Jerusalem. It's not looking good for them. But the Babylonians had received word that Egypt from the south was going to come up and help Jerusalem, help Judah. And so they just left. And oh man, you would have thought they won some great victory because they were celebrating. Our enemy has left. We've, we've 
outlasted them. They've given up. And Jeremiah the prophets, they're saying, nope, it's not what's going on, guys. God said they're coming back. And he said that they're going to take you into captivity, just like I said first uh, before. Well, they didn't like that. They were angry with Jeremiah. Oftentimes, the message of God, uh, the anger at the message often gets transferred to the messenger. And they didn't like Jeremiah at all. And so when the Babylonians left, Jeremiah had some property, and he decided to go out and check on that property. And when he went out, his enemies used it as an opportunity to say, Ah, Jeremiah is a traitor. He's been going outside the walls of Jerusalem and and meeting up with the Babylonians and telling them secrets. He's a traitor. And so they had him arrested. And they threw him in prison. And, well, he wasn't cared for very well. In fact, he was afraid that he was going to die. But the king had called for him and said, Do you have a word of the Lord for me? And he said, Yeah, I do. It's exactly what I've been telling you. You're going to be taken away into captivity. There's no way around that. That's what God said. Didn't give him good news. And the men began to get really frustrated because as Jeremiah continued to speak the word of the Lord, he was disheartening the people. It was bad enough to have been surrounded and then the guys left. And instead of rejoicing that the enemy's gone, here's Jeremiah, gloom and doom. You know, oh, they're coming back. It's too late. We're all going to die. You know, that kind of a message. And they said, we got to stop him. He is upsetting everybody. What little strength we have, he's about to destroy. We've got to shut his mouth. And so they went to the king and they said, you know, he's a prophet of God. Jeremiah claimed to have done nothing wrong, but we got to do something about him. Will you let us take care of him? The king didn't have much backbone because he said, do whatever you want. So they took Jeremiah, and you know this story, I'm sure. They threw him in a pit, and it was all muddy. And when he fell into the pit, he sunk in the mud, and they just left him there. Enter Ebed-Melech, the other Ethiopian eunuch. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 38, and let's look at verse 7. Let's just back up to verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of the king's son, which I'm not going to try to pronounce it, I'll mispronounce it, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in this dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into a dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebed-Melech 
took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there the old clothes and old rags and and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Please, put these old clothes and rags under your armpits and under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. End of story. Well, for Ebed-Melech. We don't read anything more about him than just that he, he appears on the scene, speaks up for the prophet of God, and then he just disappears. But when he was on stage, I want you to see just a couple things that I think are significant truths and lessons that we can apply to our life from his life. He teaches us. Here's the first lesson. Ebed-Melech knew the difference between right and wrong. Have you met people today that just can't seem to get that right? Or, or they're, not even consure, they're not even sure if there is such a thing as right and wrong. A number of years ago, I, I had a Bible discussion with a young man who was a Christian, but he had become wayward, and now he's doubting the very existence of God. And, and we had a Bible study one day in my office, and... and it, you know, he was saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that there's any absolute moral standard of right and wrong. I don't think you can put and assign good and evil to actions. Um, it's all subjective. And I said, so you're saying that the Holocaust was not wrong, was not evil? You can't bring yourself to say that? And he was so wedded to his position of subjectivism that he said, I can't say that it was wrong. Are you kidding me? Will we really make ourselves look that foolish in order to hold a position? This Ethiopian eunuch saw what they had done to the prophet of God, and he went boldly to the king, and he said, these men have done evil. No mixing of words. No softening, no euphemisms. He just bluntly said what they've done wasn't wrong or unwise or maybe not the best. He said it was evil. Folks, we need courage to call things out. To say there are certain things in our society that are evil and they shouldn't be practiced and they go against the nature of God. We, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, if you remember, Isaiah said, Woe unto them who call good evil and evil good. You see, we live in a time right now that not only do we, are we hesitant to say, you know, this is wrong. We just want everybody to just kind of hold their own opinion and keep it to yourself. Uh, not only do we, we're past that point. We're past the point where we just call people to, no, don't bother other people. Don't push your opinion on other people. We're to the point now where we call evil things good things. And the good things are now called evil things. Um, we call the murder of babies a mother's right to choose. 
And those who oppose the murder of babies are the ones who are in the wrong today. The ones who are in the right are the ones who practice uh, this deed. We've forgotten what good and evil is. We, we practice or have, uh, you know, just recently uh, we've seen states in our federal court system acknowledge or, you know, strike down the Defense of Marriage Act. And now we recognize from a federal standpoint marriages between men and men and women and women. And those who would oppose that, they're said to be wrong. Those who practice it are said to be right. You can look at so many things. You can look at the rejection of God in our society. Instead of, you know, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Those who reject God, they're scientific. And those of us who believe in God are ignorant. The right is, you know, the theory of evolution. Those who are wrong the biblical account of creation. Um, Christian doctrine has been substituted for or replaced by um, Christian liberty. You know, don't get so uptight about doctrine. Uh, Doctrine doesn't really matter. Everybody has the right to opinions. Christian liberty, you know, God's gracious. And you believe what you want to believe, and I believe what I want to believe. We're all trying to be servants of God, and, and as long as we have good hearts, it doesn't really matter what we believe. That, that's the message today. Those who say the Bible says, they're the ones that are wrong today. The ones that are the, in the right are those who are tolerant of things that are not right, that are not true. Folks, we need men like ebed Melech who said, this is evil. We need to confront our culture and not be silent and say there are certain things that are right and there are certain things that are wrong. And we need to do it in love and, and we don't need to cop an attitude when we do it and we don't want to be uh, you know, mean-spirited. But people need direction because apparently they don't have it. They don't know. And so where is and who will be that clarion voice to to point people in the right direction and show them the ways of God? If it isn't the people of God, I don't know who's going to do that. We have to speak up. We have to be willing to say, this is right and this is wrong. Not because it's the way I want it, but because it's the way that God said it. Here's another thing that I learned from the life of this Ethiopian eunuch. Not only did he know the difference between right and wrong, he had concern for another person beside himself. And to even make it better, not only did he have concern for other people, but he had concern for another person in the midst of his own personal problems. Jeremiah had been saying... They're coming. A wicked and hasty nation. They're coming to take us all away. This man is a part of the number that was going to be invaded. Would his life be spared? Would he be put to death when they come? He doesn't know. I mean, but he's into his neck. He's in a city that has been besieged and 
and they're coming back, and he's in deep trouble. And he doesn't have the freedom just to up and leave. He's a servant of the king. But in the midst of all of his own dilemmas and troubles, he looks out to another man. Look at um, verse uh, 8. Ebed-Melech went out to the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. He's concerned about another man. Hey, what they've done isn't right. Uh, let, Let me tell you about this guy over here. To have that kind of concern about somebody else, it well, it's Christ-like. He didn't know anything about Jesus, but isn't that what Jesus calls us to do? Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another, with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, giving deference to each other. Paul said in the letter to the Philippians, in um Philippians, uh, he said that uh, sometimes rather than just looking out for yourself, you need to look to the things of others. It's not all about me. Sometimes you need to look about others. Philippians 2 and verse 4. Also, well, the lawyer, Matthew 22, comes to Jesus and says, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he said, and I'll tell you what the second one is too. Love your neighbors yourself. Ethiopian eunuch was practicing that very thing. He wasn't so caught. And what do we do sometimes? Bad things happen to us and we get so self-consumed. We get so self-aware and we lose sight of anybody. It doesn't matter what's happening to you and your family. This is what's happening to me and my family. When things are falling apart in your family, can you look outside of yourself to the needs of others? Or do you just get so, do you get useless to the body of Christ as a whole when things don't go your way? We need to be people like this other Ethiopian eunuch. He saw another man who had a need. Even though he had his own troubles, he reached out to another man. Let's learn from him and be about that. And I'll tell you this too. When you do that, your own troubles lessen. God, I, I, you know, I don't know. Providence is one of those things that you see in your rearview mirror a whole lot better than you see uh, coming at you. But it seems like those times in my life when I have been just, man, down, I've been discouraged, it seems like somebody was brought into my life, my path would cross, that would wake me up and make me think, man, I am blessed. I have no business complaining and being that down. I I have no business to withdraw and and pull in within myself. I wouldn't trade places with some people for anything. This man had that kind of an attitude. It's admirable. Here's the third thing I see from his life. Not only was he concerned about Jeremiah, because he went to the king, which, by the way, was a big deal. I mean, you don't just walk up to the king and say, Hey, king, what you allowed these guys to do was evil. You might very well have said your last words. But he was courageous. He said it anyway. He spoke up on behalf of this man. But not only did he speak up, 
not only was he able to identify a problem, he enlisted himself to do something about the problem. Let's all come over to my house after church and we'll talk about all the problems in the church. We'll spend an hour or two and we'll, we'll identify things that need to get fixed. And then we can all go home, okay? What good does that do? Let's sit in Bible class and have discussions about what the Bible says and, and lament the fact that we're not doing what the Bible says. We can identify it, we can put our fingers on it, we can see where we need improvements, and then let's just go home and not do anything about it. What good has that done? Ebed Melik didn't just see, man, that's not right. Look what they've done to that man over there. Well, they shouldn't do that. Well, he hasn't done anything. They're mistreating him. And go back to his house and feel justified because he identified a problem. No. This man identified the problem, and then he enlisted himself to fix it. The king said, I want you to take 30 other men, and I want you to go fix it. Take care of them. Pull them out. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that we need to be doers of the word and not just hearers. The Bible warns us in James chapter 2 of having a dead faith, a faith that says, be warmed and filled and you know, go your way, I'll see you later, slam the door on somebody in need. Can that faith save, James asks? Well, of course not. You can't just identify problems and say, yep, you got your hands full. I'll see you later. That's not pleasing to God. That kind of faith is not a saving faith. A faith that saves is a faith that is coupled with good works. The rest of the chapter of James chapter 2. Luke chapter 10 tells the story of... uh, man who was beaten and left alongside of the road for dead. And a priest and a Levite walk by. They see his plight. They can identify, man, this man is messed up. Somebody's been terrible to him. He's dying. He needs help. But they kept walking. They didn't stop. In contrast to the Samaritan who saw the same man and he stopped and he put him on his animal, took him into town, paid for a room and said, if there's anything else, I'll pay it when I come back. He not only identified the problem, but he took action. That's what this man did, this other Ethiopian. He saw a problem and he said, I'm going to fix it. Listen, Next time you see a problem, there will be problems in church. There are all, we're people. There's all, you're never going to go to a perfect church. There are going to be things that are overlooked, things that are missed, things that kind of get uh, you know, low on the priority list that need to be bumped up. You're going to find problems in the church. When you find it, enlist yourself to fix it. Do something. Don't just point. Do something. And I'll say this too. I'll even go beyond that. Usually, whenever you find a problem in the church, you'll also find some people that are exasperated 
and trying and seeking and searching about ways to fix it. They just haven't been successful yet. It's not that it's the way everybody wants it to be. They've been trying to fix it, but they need help. If you see an issue, if you see a problem, volunteer yourself to fix it. We don't need more pointers in the church. We need more people to say, here am I, send me. Like the prophet Isaiah. And then here's the last point, and then the last one will be yours. As you go on down through here, another thing about this man is that he went the extra mile. How did he go the extra mile? Well, when you look at Jeremiah chapter 38 and verse 12, it says, Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so, and they pulled them out. What's the deal with the rags and the clothes? Well, he's sunk in mud. And it's going to take quite a bit of pool. You know the vacuum, the suction, that you know when you stick yourself in, in mud, and there's suction before it will actually let go. And, and so this is going to be a little rough. You know, you got this rope tied around you, and it's under your armpits, and there's these men... 30 of them, I don't know, maybe all had a hand on the rope. I don't know how many of them were actually pulling. But they're going to pull him up. That might burn. You might get rope burned from that. But you're free. That's all the point. I mean, all you need to do is just get out of the pit. But Jeremiah didn't have to, but he chose to. Go get, or I mean the Ethiopian eunuch to go get some rags and some old clothes so that it was between the rope and his arms so that it wouldn't burn and it wouldn't rub his skin. He didn't have to do that. That was just going the extra mile, doing more than whatever anyone would have expected of him. That too is a principle of Jesus, isn't it? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught his disciples to go the second mile the whole imagery of that statement, you know, sometimes gets lost, but I think we all know what it is. The Romans were an occupying force, and a Roman soldier could just come up to you and say, hey, carry my, my bag, carry my backpack. And you could be farming and digging a ditch, plowing a row, and you were obligated to go, stop what you're doing and go carry that pack for a mile. You could quit at a mile but you had to walk back a mile. Really inconvenient. The Jews hated that. You can imagine. Imagine, number one, you don't like these guys being an occupying force, and for them to disrupt you and take you away a mile and back a mile, you'd have to be steaming. Jesus said, go a second mile with them. What's the principle? Why? Boy, would that not be an opportunity, an open door to talk about the master? Because that Roman soldier would expect you to put your bag down or his bag down at that mile mark, and you say, ah, that's okay, I'll go another mile with you. You're kidding me. Why? That would be the natural question, why? And that disciple of Jesus now has an opening to talk about the Messiah, the Savior. 
when we go the second mile with people, they want to know why. And what an opportunity we have to share the good news with them, the master that we follow. Don't just do what's expected of you in your daily life. Do more. Don't just do what people, what waitresses, what cashiers, what people at work, your co-workers, the the people at school, your teachers. Don't just do what's expected of you. Do more. And they'll ask questions as to why. And whether they ask them to you personally or not, the question is in their mind. And by your life and your dedication to Christ, they'll find an answer. It's another way to point people to Jesus. This Ethiopian eunuch did more than he had to. He, he, he went that second mile. So do we. So here's a story of a man who's in the spotlight just for a little bit. But man, don't you like what you see? What was an obscure character that maybe you would not have known anything about has some really good, valuable, practical lessons for my life. I I love the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Fantastic story of a man who has an open heart and obeys Christ, and someday, hopefully, we'll see him again. But I also like the heart of this other overlooked Ethiopian eunuch because he did some outstanding things as well from which I can learn. May God help us as in the days of Jeremiah, God needed people to stand up for him. I want to ask you a question as we close. If you were in Jerusalem during this period of time and you know what the prophet has been saying, the enemy's coming you know you're in deep trouble. And you see what they did, or you've heard the rumor, or you saw it off in the distance, them dragging him and throwing him in this pit. Would you have spoken up for him? Or would you have remained silent? A better question, because I don't know and we'll never know what we would have done, but here's a question you can't answer. Will you stand up for Jesus? Would you have stood up for Jeremiah? I don't know. Will you stand up for Jesus? You can answer that tonight. If you're here and you're not yet a child of God, stand up for Jesus. He needs someone to stand for him. If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, make that decision tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, You've, you've let the world distance come between you and God and you want to make that right. We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.